create a place for his presence. There is no place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. Thank you, Tammy, for being spontaneous. It's good to have Tammy with us. And Lynn's taking a little bit of a break, sabbatical. Um, I just I have a message today, and I call it dueling brides. There's only one bride, okay? There's only one true bride. But there is a, a drawing away of many to a false harlot. I'll talk about that today. I've been hearing a lot this word. I've been hearing this a lot lately with all the stuff going on and around us in this world and this country. Inflection point. We're at an inflection point. I hear this and I'm like, what does that mean? You ever hear a word over and over again and you finally decide, you know, I've got to look that word up. Inflection. Inflection is a change in sound. A change in sound. You know when you're talking in a voice like this and then all of a sudden, hi, Devorah, how are you? And there's been a change in my inflection. There's been a change in sound in our culture, in our society. Have you noticed that over the last months? God is saying to us, come back to the sound of heaven. He's saying, return to the sound of heaven. Like I said earlier, he's saying, come out and come back. Come out and come back. You see, we are in trouble when culture defines God's designs and purposes. And when we look around just in the last few years, the things that have been redefined by culture out of convenience or for whatever reason. The definition of marriage in this country was changed about five years ago. That's pretty basic, fundamental God stuff, you know, covenant stuff from early on in Genesis. And our culture said, you know what, that's just not convenient for me. And so let's change it. Our culture has decided to change the whole issue of gender. There's so much gender confusion. Race relations. We hear a lot about that, what's going on. I just found out that I am systematically racist. I didn't know that until just now. But you know what is causing me to search my heart and say, Lord, if there is any of that, I want it gone. But there's a sound that God wants us to come back to, a sound from heaven. Let's be a continuation I shared last week about the two trees. And today I want to talk about a consecrated bride. A consecrated bride. And what does that look like? And the other harlot bride. And what does that look like? When I was living in Israel, when Millie and I were there, we used to love to go out to cafes and drink cafe afouk. Anybody know what I mean? Cafe afouk? Literally means, yeah, well, that's, you got to have it. It means upside down coffee. It means upside down. The cream is, and there's more cream than coffee, and it's because it was really strong coffee. Really wonderful. You got to try it. Cafe afouk. 
and basically it means upside down. Afuk means upside down. We're living in an upside down world. And God is saying, come back. Come back. Come out and come back. A world that's been turned upside down. There's so much confusion and disorder, chaos, balagan, disorientation, fear, division, so much. Like what we consider to be solid truth is all of a sudden it's being challenged in every way, in every quarter of society. But I'm going to read some words out of you, from Yeshua that, um, you know what? We are to trust in him in the midst of all the craziness. It sounds really simple, really trite. Trust in him. But I tell you what, there can be nothing more important right now than to put our trust in him, the solid rock. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Starting in verse 1, but the situation is Yeshua is with his disciples in Jerusalem. He's coming to the end of his ministry, coming to his, the end of his earthly ministry. His ministry never ends. Hallelujah, his ministry never ends. But they're wandering in Jerusalem, and they're talking, and they're seeing, and he's speaking. And man, if you read chapter 23, there's some tough words that he speaks to the Torah scholars and to the Pharisees and to the people. Matter of fact, at one point he says, do what they do, but don't do what, don't do what they say, but don't do what they do. There's a warning, and he speaks all of these things. And then the end of chapter 23, he's overlooking Jerusalem, and I know that place where he's overlooking Jerusalem. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, how I wish to have gathered you as a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you would not. But you won't see me again until you cry out, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. And then he, he's probably facing towards the temple. And he said, it's left to you desolate. And then his disciples are watching all this. And they're you know, like, what's going on? Yeshua, we don't know. And so they privately, Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, it says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Yeshua answered them, be careful that no one leads you astray. Three questions and an incredible warning. The questions that they were asking, and it's questions all of us ask, when will these things happen? How many of us, you know, ask this, when is that going to take place? Yeshua, when are you coming back? We... It's not for us to know the day or the hour, but it is for us to understand the seasons and what is going on. He says, understand the seasons. You don't know the day or the Not even the sun knows the day or the hour. When will these things happen? Well, if I just was with Yeshua for those three years, I'd be asking more questions than Peter or John. I know that because I ask a lot of questions. Why? Matter of fact, somebody once saw me in a vision with a question mark over my head. Why? <laughs> When will these things happen? He explains it later on. And then he says, what will be the sign? They say, what will be the sign of your coming? So first question, when? What will be the signs? And, and lastly, what will be the signs of the end of the age? What is the end of the age going to look like? And his response, he doesn't directly answer the question right away. 
He says, be careful that no one leads you astray. Don't be deceived. Don't fall into deception. Don't be led astray. He didn't directly answer the question. He emphasizes deception. Man, are we living in a world that has been deceived and is being led astray so quickly. In other words, Yeshua is saying, don't focus on the situation, the circumstances that are going on around you. Don't draw conclusions based on what you see with your human eyesight, your human wisdom, and your past experiences. Don't be deceived. Trust in him. Trust is a, it's hard, you know, the emunah, the Hebrew word for faith, trust, the same. Emunah, to put our trust. You see, we are good at, at mental assent. We, intellectually, we believe something. But, but he's asking us to, no, I'm asking you to, to put your life on this. Trust this for everything in your whole life. It's more than just an intellectual understanding of the things. Trust him. And then he says, this is only the beginning. What you're seeing going around, Matthew chapter 20, let's, let's read this in the next verse in verse 5. Starting in verse 5, Matthew 24. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. You know, for a lot of time, for a long time, I thought, you say, many may be coming in my name, claiming they're the Messiah. No, he says, they're going to be in my, they're using my name, Yeshua, and they're saying, I am the Messiah, but they're going to lead you astray. That's what that means. He said, many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Wow, we can say, yeah, we've heard of rumors and seen wars, and, but see that you are not alarmed. For this must happen. It is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation. Here's another thing. That word nation, it's ethnos. Ethnos. It's not nation states like we're used to, like Nicaragua or United States or Russia. It's ethnic groups, peoples, different people groups. People group will rise against people group and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are only the beginning of birth pains. Hallelujah. <laughs> what we're seeing and experience, this is only the beginning, guys. And actually, if we read the rest of the chapter, and I won't today, he gets more specific on the things that are going to happen. So I want to talk about these dueling brides. There's a harlot. And you know what a harlot is? A prostitute. It's drawn people away from their first love. There's a harlot that looks to draw from the consecrated bride if she could. But what is this harlot we're talking about? Turn to Revelation chapter 18. We're going to be reading several passages out of Revelation. Just a little bit of a description about the harlot. Verse 1, 18 verse 1. Verse 1. 
After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his glory. He cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a den for demons, a haunt for unclean spirit, and for every unclean bird, and for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the fury of her immorality. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich off the power of her self-indulgence. Now go with me to verse 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So shall Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence, never to be found again. And the sound of harpists and musicians, flautists and trumpeteers shall never be heard in you again. And the craftsmen of, many, of any craft shall never be found in you again. And the sound of a mill shall never be heard in you again. And the light of a lamp shall never shine in you again. We're hearing about the lamp today, the lamp of God, the menorah of God. But this lamp will never be seen in you again. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall never be heard in you again. For your businessmen were the tycoons of the world. For all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and Kiddushim, the holy ones, and all those slaughtered on the earth. Description, description of Babylon the harlot. But what is this? Are we talking about the Catholic Church? Are we talking about Rome? I believe what we're talking about here is a world system, a world system that we degraded into back in the garden when we chose to eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This, this world system that is under the power of the air, the prince of the air, the devil, Satan. That's what I believe is talking about the harlot, Babylon, is this world system. But God says, Yeshua says, we are in the world but not of the world. It should have. And you know, he also said when he was talking about the devil, he said, the devil has no part in me, nothing in me. And that should have nothing in us because guess what? He lives in us. He is who our new identity is based in. And if Yeshua says the, the devil, the world has nothing in him, we should say that it has nothing in us. Come out, come out come out. And there's a warning to us, and there's warnings all throughout the scriptures. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty, pretty base, pretty plain, isn't it? For everything in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Hallelujah. Last week I talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis chapter 
3, verse 6, the tree, it talks about the tree. It says, it's good for food. Well, that sounds like what I just read. It's, it's desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes. And it says, it's a thing of lust. It masters us. It tries to control us. That's what lust is, the lust of the eyes. It's that anything that can try to control us. It's worldly wisdom. Man, if you've been on Facebook lately, you've seen a lot of worldly wisdom out there. The harlot bride loves the world and enjoys friendship with it. And God is saying, come out. Come out from that system. I just can't say it. Words don't describe the urgency I'm sensing in my spirit about coming out from that system. Because that system... It entices us. It draws us away. It draws us away from our first love, Yeshua. He's describing in this harlot bride, this somebody who's lost their first love. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Man, he was like excited. I would tell everybody. All my friends would mock me and laugh me. I didn't care. You ever go through a season where you kind of lose that first love? You just kind of lose that zeal and that excitement and that just that desire to be with your bridegroom. You realize that, and you say, God, give me that desire back. And he fills us back up. Sometimes we are drawn away from our first love. But he says, come back to me, come back. You see, when we lose that first love, we begin to walk in unbelief. I talked a little bit about that spirit of unbelief last week. Unbelief says, God, you can't. God can't do it. Oh, he can do it for Judith, and he can do it for Jan. He can do it for Patricia, but I don't know. I don't think he can do it for me. That's unbelief. It causes us to to walk in compromise. Well, if God can't do it, I don't know. I I just go along to get along. Go along to get along. Compromise. Peace at any cost. Lose that fire that God wants to reignite within us. And idolatry. And idolatry is not going out in your backyard, cutting down a tree, and making it into an idol. You know, it's idolatry is, we can make anything an idol. Today, politics. Materialism. Self-effort. All of these can become idols if we put our trust in them. Yeshua says, man, look around. All this stuff, don't be led astray. Trust in me. Trust in me. You know, Yeshua spoke into this. and As he's speaking from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, the discourse from the Olivet Discourse, it's called. He said, you know, there's going to be many that, that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we do all these incredible things? Didn't we do great miracles in your name? And then he says those words we never, never want to hear. And we've always struggled with that when we hear this as messages. He says, get away, I never even knew you. And yet there are people who did Incredible things, but they were doing it without a first love. They weren't a consecrated pride. We see that 
today. There's a progression that we see today taking place right before our very eyes. There's a godlessness that has come upon our nation. It's not just been an overnight thing. It just didn't happen four months ago. It's been going on for decades. Separating, taking prayer out of the schools. A decade later, you know what? That baby is inconvenient. Get rid of it. Abort it. So we slowly turn away. That's called godlessness. And when godlessness takes root, the next thing it leads to is lawlessness. We become a law unto ourselves. And when that happens, guess what? It says the love of many will grow cold. Lovelessness. So godlessness leading to lawlessness, leading to lovelessness. I heard something that rocked my boat the other day from a guy who, Pat Boone. Pat Boone's been around for about 100 years. Okay? And I, I didn't even know he's still with us. Bless you, Pat Boone. But his words spoke to me. And he said, you know, we've heard a lot about social distancing. But he said, we've social distanced from God from de for decades. We have social distanced ourselves from God. Why should we be surprised when the government says, stay away from one another? Guess what? The image of God is written on us. And that social distancing is, stay away, stay away. They're dangerous. We've social distanced from God for decades. We become a law unto ourselves. And how's that worked out for us? Chaos, no law. Look what happened in Seattle. Seattle's one of my favorite cities in the country. We used to go to Seattle all the time when we lived in Washington. And now there's a separate state, separate, well, it's a separate country, Chaz. Welcome to Chaz. But this is the thing that we can't let it happen. And you spoke into this, Joyce. We can't let, you know, our, we, we can't turn on our brothers and sisters. And what? Oralistness, exactly. The lawlessness is Torahlessness. And what happens when is we turn on our brothers and sis sisters because of undealt offenses. And God is saying, if you have offense against somebody, deal with this. Unforgiveness, bitterness, estrangement. You know what they all lead to? Death. God says, deal with this. Come out from that. Come out from that. The harlot bride marries itself to the world and begins to look a lot like Babylon. But we, we put on a facade of religion, spirituality. Man, we, we fill our heads with knowledge and information about God. But when Yeshua said, depart from me because I don't know you. See, knowing God intimately is not knowledge about God. It's, it's, a, it's an intimacy like a, like a husband and wife. That's what it is. Instead, it's not just... I can, I can read about Millie and understand things about her and know things about her, but man, I know Millie. Not like the Lord knows her. But you see what I mean? The difference between knowledge of something 
and knowing that person. God is calling us to come out from that, to know him. I want to just talk about five, fairly quickly here, five attributes of the harlot bride. One who has left what I call the tree of life, what the scriptures call the tree of life. The tree of life is Yeshua, by the way. The tree of life is the living Torah, and his name is Yeshua. The tree of life is the word became flesh, the living Torah. And where does he live? He lives at the right hand of the Father, but guess what? He's also set up a throne in my heart where I can be here in Denver, but also I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I can't explain it to you in words, but that's what the scriptures say. It's just unexplainable, but you know it's truth. The tree of life. So the first attribute of the harlot bride is sexual immorality. This is one of Satan's primary weapons that he uses against the body of Messiah. It's not just out there in the world. Let me give you an example. This happened several years ago when I was at the other church. And they had a couple that had been coming to our services for quite a while. You know, and they just seemed to love the Lord and they're, you know, involved with things. And they came to me and, and they, they said they, he want, they wanted me to bless their relationship. And, and I just was praying, and I just sensed, wait a minute. And I asked them a question, are you living together? And they said, yeah, yeah, we've been together seven years. And I'm like, well, I, I can't bless what God can't bless. And it was really, it was hard for me to do, because I don't like to lose people from the congregation, you know. But I just felt like, no, I can't pray for you in that area and over your relationship. And he got upset. And he started, I had a shirt on that had an emblem. I don't even remember what it was. It was a shirt that Carl bought me. And so it had a little emblem on it, whatever. And he said, look at that. You're under that. You're under that. Blah, blah, blah. And, and they turned around and walked out and never saw them again. You see, all they had to do was repent. Stop doing what they were doing and separate from one another. I don't know, I've I counseled a lot of people who were in preparing to marry one another. And I've had to say to many of them, well, you know what? You've been living together. God is wanting you to separate. And most of them go, you know what? You're right. I'll do that because I love my bride so much. I love my wife. Not wife yet, but I love this person so much. I'm willing to do that. And so they separate. And that's the way to do it. Repent. Stop doing those things and separate. And, and sexual immorality is, 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 we see it in pornography. It's rampant. 70% of men in the church are in bondage to pornography. That's a, I don't know if that's a recent or if it's more or less, but 70%. At the click of a, a key, you can be in wherever you want to be. It's a modern-day form of idolatry is what it is. God is saying, come out from that. You see, it's idolatry because those images of pornography remain in our brains, and we bow down to it all the time. God is saying, come out, be my bride. The second area is drunkenness and addictions. Ephesians 5.18 says, well, let me go back before I even get into that. Some scriptures 
you want to write these down, to deal with sexual immorality. Revelation 2, 20, it says, But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, yet she is teaching and deceiving my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat, sacrificed, eat food sacrificed to idols. Several months ago, I, I shared about the spirit of Je Jezebel and Leviathan that's rampant in our culture. And this is what Jezebel leads us to do, is commit sexual immorality. Verse, in chapter 9, Revelation 9, verse 21, it says, Then they did not repent and turn away from their murderers. And it says murderers, but you can also throw in their abortions. Or their sorceries. Sorceries, we don't use that term anymore, but it's basically occult and drugs. Or their sexual immorality, or their stealing. God says repent. God says, repent, come out from there. Okay, the second area of that, um, that, that Satan uses, the, the harlot bride, the second characteristic is drunkenness and addictions. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk on wine, for that is recklessness. Instead, be filled with the ruach. The Bible does not speak against alcohol, speak against drinking wine, by the way. But it does speak against drunkenness and debauchery. And I believe it speaks not just about being drunk on alcohol, but also I'm throwing in there addictions because addictions, we can be addiction, addicted to many things. Many things. I was addicted to pot. I was addicted to every, any kind of drug. Anybody would say, I would just say, hey, yeah, sure, let's do it. And now we, have a, we live in a, in a state where it says pot's legal. And so I've had people who come to me and say, well, it's legal, so why can't I do it? And it's like, but you're putting yourself under that control. Do you need it for something? And I've heard people say this, is that um, I, I've just heard this recently. I need it to relax and loosen up. Why? Pot. I need it to relax and loosen up, and then I can really enjoy. I heard this just just the other day from a pastor of uh, a church and good friends of ours and, and somebody in their church had to go get their daughter out of a ministry that I know very well because she was getting drunk regularly at the ministry. God says, come out from that. Anything that holds us into bondage Anything that we cannot set ourselves free. I remember coming to a point and said, God, I am I'm an addict. I don't know what to do. And I cried out to him, and he delivered me in an incredible way. He delivered me. And he can do that for anybody here struggling with addictions. The third characteristic of the harlot bride is tolerance. Tolerance. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to mix together with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to exit the world. I love Paul's reasoning. <laughs> but this is what I want to... Verse 11. But now I am writing to you 
not to mix together with anyone who is being called a brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a fellow. For what business do I have what, for what business do I have judging outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Put away the wicked fellow from among yourselves. We don't like to read that scripture much in our congregations and churches. It's pretty hard. God says, be clear on your stance towards righteousness. It's a slippery slope. When you start compromising in a little area, you guys all know this. We're supposed to go out to the drunkards and the adulterers out there who are out there in the world who need salvation. We're supposed to share a message of love and reconciliation and salvation. But when it's in our midst with somebody who calls themselves a brother or a sister, that's a problem. I welcome when the homosexuals will begin to come into our congregations, and they will. But we're not to celebrate their perversion. We're to welcome them and pray for them and love on them, but not welcome and not celebrate their lifestyles, not imitate their lifestyles. Welcome sinners. Don't imitate them. Too much tolerance has led to denominations accepting in the name of inclusivity sin. And where are they at right now? Basically, they're ordaining homosexuals. They're ordaining all kinds of same-sex relationships in the pulpit, in leadership. God says, What's your stance towards righteousness? What am I calling you to? To deal with this, we need to know how to speak in love to one another, too. We have to know how to speak in love. You see, when I go and I talk to somebody who struggles with addictions, I can identify with them. I know where they're coming from. I share my testimony. We could share our testimony without bringing judgment upon them. But when we see it in our midst, it has to be addressed. That compromise, that, that's, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. Share your testimony of an encounter of deliverance and listen to their pain with empathy, but do not judge. And ask permission. Can I pray for you in that area? And when you pray for them, I've had very few people, by the way, who said, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Most people say, yeah, would you pray for me? You keep praying. You keep praying. Maybe you'll hear the testimony of their deliverance. Maybe not in this lifetime. But you keep loving on that person and praying for their deliverance. The fourth area of the characteristics of the harlot bride is greed. Revelations 18.3. And the merchants of the earth grew rich off the power of their her self-indulgence. Greed is when we sacrifice the truth of the gospel of the kingdom for entertainment and monetary gain. Greed is like this craving for bigger and better. You remember the 1980s? Televangelists and all that that was happening. And I remember we were just... 
Millie and I were just being called in to go to missions. And here all these blowing, these ministries were blowing up with greed, you know, and they were raising money for jets and amusement parks. And, and here we're going off into the mission field. My mom's who wasn't a believer saying, this doesn't make sense. Look at all these guys. Why are you doing this? Why are you joining with those people? Greed. And the last characteristic is pride. Revelation chapter 18, verse 7 and 8 says, As she exalted herself, and pride is basically exaltation, self-exaltation, and indulged herself in luxury, so give her the same measure of torment and grief. For in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I shall never see grief. For this reason her plagues will arrive in a single day, death and grief and famine. And she shall be burned down with fire. For mighty is Adonai Elohim who judges her. That's the judgment that's going to come upon that harlot Babylon. Amen? Amen. Pride is taking glory and perversion and mocking those who walk in humility. Pride is the unwillingness to be known for who we really are. It's good news, huh? I'm just about done. Tammy, where are you? Are you up there? Okay. Revelation 18.4, what I've been saying all day, come out. Revelation 18.4 says, a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. And this is what we need to hear God say, come out from her, my people. His name has been set upon you. And I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to all of us. Come out from her, my people. Lest you participate in her sins and receive her plagues. So yeah, it is possible for believers to be in a relationship with a harlot. Yes, absolutely. But I'm hearing a plea from heaven. I'm hearing this. I heard it today in our in your word, Joyce, and in our worship is a plea from heaven that says, Don't participate with her. Come out from her and come back. Become a friend of the bridegroom. If you've lost that first love, ask for that desire. God loves it when we say, God, bring back that desire I had at first. Lord, I want to love you as a consecrated bride loves her bridegroom. Sees nobody else, nothing else. No false lovers. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 says, but this I have against you, that you have forsaken your first love. Remember then from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your menorah from its place unless you repent. God is calling us to return to that first love, come out and, be, and return to the first love. Be gripped by repentance and fear of the Lord. There's also a cry of the prophetic intercessor. And I really sensed this last week. And I, and I said this, this this morning, Joyce and Laura, God has called you as prophetic intercessors during this day. Don't stop crying out to heaven. Make a fool out of yourself. Don't stop crying out to heaven. Amen. He's raising up true intercessors. Last week, I just sensed that we were, as we were just 
praying about the things going on, and you guys prayed, and, and I felt the heart of God rise up. As he rose up in you, all of us kind of sensed that and, and participated in that. He's calling us to weep, weep over our nation's wickedness and rebellion. Turn from the, you know, when we say, when we speak these words and it's Chaim, the tree of life. Since the tree of life is sweet, it's pleasant. Come back, return back. God is calling us to return back. Let our hearts soften and weep over our sins, our families, our nations, the wickedness, the sin and rebellion. A faithful, consecrated bride, a consecrated bride says, is faithful to truth no matter what it costs. Would you stand with me? The consecrated bride is faithful to her bridegroom no matter what it costs. I heard the term dove eyes. I'm like, what is a dove? What are dove eyes? You know, er, birds have great eyesight. Doves are a sign of gentleness and shalom, peace and shalom. It's, a, it's, a, it's also a, a sign of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Dove eyes only for the for Yeshua. Have eyes only for Yeshua. Do we see him as the one that we are betrothed to? Or has he become distracted with all the stuff going on around us? Do we have an increasing awareness of the Lord's presence? Or are we being overwhelmed by the craziness in the world? We have a choice. The consecrated bride says, yes, I know where to put my hope and trust. The last verses I want to read, Revelation 22, verse 13. Yeshua says, I am the Aleph and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav, Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. How fortunate are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life. Wash your robes so that we can come back to that eating from the tree of life. It may enter through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral, and the murderers and the idolaters, and those who, who love and practice falsehood. As I was preparing this message, this classic song came to me. I don't know if you're going to get the right key on this, but... It's a song we all know. And I, I sing this quite a lot. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful day. And the things of strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing that again. Turn your eyes upon 
look full in his wonderful look full with dove eyes into his wonderful face and the things of earth yes will grow strangely struggled with that. I think some of us struggled with that. Sometimes you need to be a warrior, but God is calling us to be peacemakers and diplomats. And This is not a time to choose political sides. We all got opinions. We all have, you know, but there's so much going on. It's not about this side, the left side, or the right side. It's about it's just, just side. you know, you when, when, when the... Um, when Joshua was saying, whose side are you on? <laughs> Republicans or the Democrats? The Palestinians or the Jews? Whose side are you on? I'm on his side. Amen? It's a time to gaze on him in heaven and, and walk in his love and grace. And that means that we would be vessels of his love. And not just tell people what they need to do. Not just tell people to turn or burn. How many are good at that? But God says, man, show them a Talmud, a follower of Yeshua. You know, exude that love and that, that empathy for people because they need it. They need it. I mean, gosh. Craziness. Somebody goes out walking their dog. And some guy just starts shooting out of his out of his apartment or his house. Takes the life of a 21-year-old. We have no guarantees. No. We don't have answers for any of that. Except to look heavenward and walk in his love and his grace. I just want to pray this prayer of consecration over you. And then we're going to enter into a time of worship. Yeshua, we say that you are our King, our God, our Lord. You are our bridegroom. You call us by name. You've healed us, set us free, delivered us, brought us into a new family. And Lord, many times we've walked away. We've kind of looked back to the old patterns and the old lifestyles and said, you know what? kind of miss that. And then that light begins to dim in our hearts and we wonder why. And then we hear the faint call of our father. His son Yeshua saying, come back. There's no condemnation. As a matter of fact, there's a picture of a father sitting on a porch. His youngest son was out there eating with the pigs came to his senses and realized, what am I doing? He made his way back to the father. The father looks a long ways off and runs out to him and he welcomes him back as to his son, puts this robe on him, puts his sandals on his feet. You're mine. You're my son. Nothing can change that. Father, bring us back to that first love. 
But Lord, I pray for each of us here, Lord God, that we would grow with more desire to love you. Intimacy. I use that word. We use that word. Lord, we desire intimacy with you so that nothing will pull us away. Nothing will pull us away. And Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters here today in Yeshua's name, that we would be that consecrated bride that's come out and come back. Shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him. <laughs>